From KYW News Radio 1039 FM, this is Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Presented by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Hello, I'm Raquel Williams. Welcome to Bridging Philly. 2023 has come to an end, and we have met some fabulous people along the way. Stories and people that have truly inspired us. It had already spread everywhere. So not just my liver, but my bones, my lungs, my sternum, my lymph nodes, everywhere except for my brain and my spine. Charity Howard and our producer Patty McMahon join me in studio as we reflect and discuss the stories and events that matter to you. She put her fingers in the dirt, mm. right, and her hands on your heart and really touch people's souls by teaching them what was deep down inside of them. How could they express themselves through the earth? All that's coming up on Bridging Philly. This is Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. Well, 2023 has been quite the year, and Bridging Philly has been along for the ride right with you. We've had some pretty fabulous guests this year, and I am thankful for each and every one of them. You know, this year we tried to be a bit more timely and take deeper dives into news stories as they were happening that dominated the airwaves, such as the mayoral race, the gun violence crisis, the crisis in Ukraine, how AI and ChatGBT has crept into our daily lives, and even the legacy of Charles L. Bloxon. But today, it's just us. Shara Day Howard is here, and we will finally introduce you to our super awesome producer who has truly raised the bar on this show in terms of content and sound, Miss Patty McMahon. Oh boy, oh boy. I'm thrilled. Yes, BP Squad. It has been quite a year. Yes, ladies? Yes, I love the BP Squad. This is what we're doing. This is what we do. This is what we do. And it has been 12 months of fabulousness, I have to say. I have to agree. Yeah. I have to agree. Patty, what do you think? Well, you know, we're in the news business and every year it just seems to get more intense. All of those issues just become larger and they overlap and we try to cover it and I'm thrilled to work with a new team who are just as into it as I am. Yeah. And next year, it's going to be intense, and we're, we're, yeah. we're going to cover it. We're yeah. in it. I'm ready. Absolutely. Sleeves up. <laughs> you said sleeves up? Sleeves up. All right. Talk about sleeves up uh, there, Shara. Shara <laughs> in the City actually is a segment that we added this year. Not Shara. We didn't add her new this year, but the actual segment, we decided to name it Shara in the City. No Carrie Bradshaw or anything like that, <laughs> but we have something but just a better, just even better. <laughs> Uh, with Shari in the City. What do you think about the name Shari in the City? I has it grown it. on you yet? It has all the way grown on me to the point where I could just kind of flow with it in the wind, like long tresses. Like I've, <laughs> I've completely and totally embraced this mm-hmm. in such a beautiful way. And I want to thank you for coming up with it. That was your brainchild. Did I? Did you I? gave birth to that. Oh, And I'm okay. like, and I'm carrying it and cradling it like it well, was please, my own. Great. The baby is doing well. And yes. you, you're literally all over the city with your microphone, talking to people, new, interesting people, some really serious things, some more lighthearted things. You get into things like the arts. Yeah. Like we're we're really reflecting what Philadelphia is. Philadelphia yeah. is not a monolith. True. Right? So True. we have so many things outside of just the gun violence. So at this point, I think it's really important for us to find a way to not only speak to the people and speak to the vibe, mm. but really speak to how that vibe affects us, impacts us. Because this really is about Philly impact. Yeah, you're right. Philly Impact. I like that. Well, you know, we're taking a look at some of the 
uh, stories that we've covered here on Bridging Philly that kind of knocked our socks off are really pretty interesting in 2023. So tell us one of the ones that stand out for you. Well, the conversations you had were so poignant and they really helped me go out and figure out like what conversations did I want to have mm -hmm. out in the streets of Philadelphia? And things came up like Farmer John. Agriculture is the culture. Oh, Farmer know? John. Right. Talk about that. She was an amazing influence not only on her community, but on kind of how we see women and women of color and just what farming means to the city, what farming means to small communities, yeah. what accessibility means, yeah. because people think accessibility is about resources for maybe healthcare or this or that. Sometimes it's as basic as produce. True. This woman was figuring out how to heal people through produce down the street. From wherever you were, she found a way to bring people in and create a community based on feeding them yeah. and feeding them and helping them learn how to feed themselves. So she put her fingers in the dirt, mm. right, and her hands on your heart and really touched people's souls by teaching them what was deep down inside of them. How could they express themselves through the earth? So this woman, I'm going to give her a name. How about that? How about Krista Barfield? CEO and founder of Farmer John. You know, I'm from Germantown, so when I walk up in Germantown Avenue, starting in Germantown, and you hit Mount Airy, and then you hit Chestnut Hill, you can literally see the wealth change. You can see the color of people's skin change, and so does the food system changes, just by walking up the street. Now, what she's doing today is she's expanded that local Germantown startup that was a community farm. She made a shop, and then she made another shop all mm -hmm. within the community. And now she's expanded into Westchester, that Westchester collaboration she's doing with a couple universities out there, she's now expanded that into a Swarthmore healing center. Wow, that's, that's so, awesome. So again, yeah. so she's kind of spreading the wealth in such a beautiful way in places you would never know actually needed it. Yeah, and, and when you hear Farmer John, I think we're aware of her. She's made quite a name for herself she has. in Philadelphia. And John, of course, it's Philly. But, you know, when you hear Farmer... I think we all have the same image in our head, right? Right. <laughs> and it's not her. <laughs> it's not her. But she does wear overalls once in a while. Okay. She'll play it up. <laughs> That's awesome. Right. Yeah. Um, well, this past summer, Patty and I drove down to the shore and we went to Ocean City. And it's interesting because my family and I, every off season, like after the summer season, like in September, early October, we go to Ocean City. And we fell in love with it. So that's our spot that we go to in the off season. And one of the things that we noticed about Ocean City, we're like, I don't see too many people of color here, but we still love it, but we don't see too many. And then the Inquirer came out with an article about this woman. Her name is Loretta Thompson. And she wrote a book that's called The West Side, Ocean City in True Color. Yes. And in that book, she explores her roots in Ocean City. And she takes a look at African-Americans that settled in Ocean City. Yes. And she tells some really great stories. And what I loved about this particular um, panel, so-called panel discussion, we were in her home. We were in her home, brothers, sisters, cousins, they joined, and we were all sitting in the living room, and we were just having a conversation about their experiences um, growing up in Ocean City and some of the things that she found when she was researching uh, Ocean City. Well, growing up in Ocean City was fun because it is such a small place. You knew everyone. It was safe so we could come and go. We had uh, defined boundaries as to how far we could go, but we were basically free to come and go. We could go to the beach and boardwalk every day. We could go to the bay, to crab. Um, we had friends who lived, you know, just blocks away. 
School was close. We always walked to school. There were no buses. So you got to know everyone, play with everyone, and just basically have a good time as youngsters here. One of the things that uh, I thought was very interesting is that there was, in 1884, a man named Jacob Still. He's an African-American man. He came to Ocean City, and he established, in 1884, the first saltwater taffy business on the boardwalk. Stop it. Things How did he know. do that? Wow. At a time in which, boy, it was. Uh, uh, yes. And it was quite an amazing feat for him to have done that. And we were talking about his successes, and in the end... One of the lures is that no one knows what happened to the salt water taffy recipe. One of the uh, stories out there is that he sold it away at his deathbed. And then there's another story that says it was stolen from him. And so all that salt water taffy that you're eating on the shore allegedly may be from his recipe. But why is that surprising? And still yet, mm. not surprising. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And wow. then there were other stories when they were talking about Ocean City. And, of course, it's a beautiful beach and boardwalk in Ocean yeah. City today for families. But, you know, when her brother, especially, who's a little bit older than her, they were talking about the stories of the segregated beaches. Yes. They were only allowed to swim in the beach between 5th and 6th Street. And now we noticed, my husband and I, we went back and we're like, 5th and 6th Street, let's check out this area of the beach. Rough choppy and that's the same thing that she said the the waters in that area of the beach were very rough and choppy but that's the only place where people of color were allowed to swim and where do we see those parallels and those Mm -hmm. patterns over Mm -hmm. the years and then they were kids when this was all happening and of course when you're kids and you're living this life you don't know any better they actually had fun with it they used to climb over the jetty and swim in the other sections and get chased back. Oh, and they thought it. it was a game. Like they literally were chasing them. You're not supposed to swim here. Get back oh. to your side. And they'd laugh and, and, and just run back to the beach. And then as they were growing up and they were telling the story, that was awful. Right. Yeah. But this is kind of our legacy as well. Not just greatness, but also finding a way to thrive even in crashing waves. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, when you're kids, the innocence of children not even realizing that they were being discriminated against and just finding a way to have fun with it at the same time. And parents I mean, allowing yeah. it. Yeah, exactly. And you know what the interesting thing about the author, when I called her to pre-interview her and asked her if we could come down, was that, oh, so are you a historian? Are you an author? And she's, no. She's like, no, I had to do this because no one's doing it. Everyone's dying. I need to chronicle and and really capture and interview the people that are still living and try to put the archives together and try to get as much of their stories on paper as she could. She was charged with a mission. Absolutely. And she accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. Great stories came out of there. Thanks to her. I think we all need to know who we are, where we came from, and how we fit into the big picture. If we don't have a firm sense of self, I think we're less as people and perhaps not as nice to other people because we don't know their story either. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly from KYW News Radio 1039 FM. So, Shara, what other stories in Shara in the City grabbed you for 2023? So, there was a West Philly archaeological dig over the summer. 
And what you don't the, hear that every day. Never right. It's Midwest <laughs> Philly, but guess what? About to offer. So there was a tiny little area in West Philly that was called the Black Bottom. And the Black Bottom was on around 35th 35th and Lancaster Avenue. Now, in the late 19th century, early 20th century, that was a space that was populated by black and brown people, but also artists. Mm. Artists who really carried on the legacy of their families and kind of brought it to the forefront. And that was their stronghold. And University of Penn got together with Heritage West Archaeological Project and decided they're going to bring people from the community as well as actual archaeologists from the university and dig up. In the rear of the Community Education Center, which is an arts venue, arts hub for West Philly, in their parking lot area. To figure out who these people of Black Bottom were Hmm. and what they really contributed to Philadelphia history by way of music, arts, and also science. Wow. But they wanted to reach back in time and kind of bring back a bit of that history to bring some of the ownership back to that space because we know West Philadelphia has really been kind of inundated with development. University yeah. of Penn took over a lot of that area. Mm-hmm. So this was kind of a way of giving back to the community by giving back a bit of their history and a lot of Philadelphia pride. Well, I have to say another segment that grabbed me in 2023. And I have to thank Patty for this one because Patty started me on interviewing authors, book authors. Yes. And I was kind of like, oh, I got to read a book. <laughs> <laughs> you know you read a lot. Come on, stop. This is what this job is. But you know, you normally read what you want to read. But That's this true. was, she was like, look at this book. Check out this man's story. I guarantee you're going to be interested. And when I tell you, at first I wasn't, after I got into his story and did this interview, it's probably my favorite of the year. A young boy that it's only a boy in the family. All my families were in military. All of them were killed, executed. Yeah, Leth Un is his name, and he was among the thousands of Cambodian refugees who found a home in South Philly back in the 80s. Now, he's a survivor of the Khmer Rouge. Oh, wow. Yeah, that, so that regime eliminated a quarter of the country's population. So he talks about... This in his memoir that he wrote, it's called A Refugee's American Dream, From the Killing Fields to the Secret Service. Uh, And he wrote it with a co-author named uh, Joe Samuel Starnes. His story was just so gripping. Uh, The whole time I was talking with him, I couldn't believe. I'm like, wow, you survived that. He talked about, you know, seeing so much death in the killing fields and in the rice paddies where they were basically slaving away day to day. The life during those four years, almost, prisoner who's tortured, interrogated in a different way, mentally and physically, with 8, 12, 16 hours of work daily in the middle of rice paddies, scorching heat, monsoon season, with a little just a small meals to survive. Because we work so hard, not enough food, not enough nutrients, not enough vitamins, most of died while they're working. Either die of food, a lack of nutrients, or die of execution. Many times we, we were outside, there's no time we have so-called a break. Sometimes we eat food right in the middle of monsoon. The food never gets nothing but just the water coming down from the sky. And people take every chance they get, eat anything that is digestible, it's not poison, just to fill up the stomach to survive. I mean, the bodies can only take so much of that. 
And if we don't do it, we're going to die. So almost no choice but to do what we are told to do. And one, one time we escaped the ring to borders, and we were chased by many Khmerus and Vietnamese soldiers. My mom and I, we have to lay next to a dead body, you know, fake death until they pass, and, and many times until the sun sets before we get up. Imagine you put yourself with the decomposed body and the rice paddy and, the, you know, the smell, the bones, and everything that are on top of you. So. Under the Khmer Rouge regime, more than a million people were slaughtered uh, after the Cambodian Civil War. And, you know, again, that story is just so disturbing. He was just a little boy when he learned that his father was killed. He was on a mission to find his dad. And in the meantime, he was taking care of his mother and his little sister. And out of that interview, you just really heard the resolve of his mother and his determination to find his father, which, of course, he ended up that his father was killed because he was part of the army. So that that's oh. pretty much what happened there. But um, the fact that he endured all of that, survived, found a home temporarily in Philadelphia, and then ended up at the White House working at the Secret Service, Astonished. you know, it's absolutely amazing. Now, he he served under Bush, Obama, Trump, and now Biden, and he's retiring this month. Yes. This month he's due to retire. And it's just an awesome story. Talk about a dream. Yeah. That was such an inspiring story. Right, Patty? I mean, I'm, thank you for bringing that oh. to me, to us, to all of us. Amazing. It was great. Amazing. Great story. Well, um, I'm getting shivers thinking about it. I mean, it's one of those situations where you have immediate perspective. Mm. Well, actually, this job actually does this a lot where you might be feeling sorry for yourself or you come in or you're something is just a little inconvenient and you're thinking about yourself too much. And then you talk to somebody who's really been through it and then... Okay, reset. Right. And the one interesting through line with Leth was his relationship to dogs. Yes, yes. Because when he was a little boy, he mm-hmm. he was very close with his little dog, and the Cameroon slaughtered the dog just, just, to, just to kill it. Just because they yeah, and then he ended up in the Secret Service. He was in charge of, and still is, in charge of the canine unit. Mm-hmm. Oh, and so yeah. now, yeah, so it kind of came full circle. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. rough. It's really, I can't really go back and listen to that part of the interview. Yeah, so, so layered. You, It's amazing how people find a way yeah. to use their tragedy, their trauma yes. as a stepping stool. And into triumph. Absolutely. Yep. Right? Absolutely. Wow. If we don't come away from that inspired board, who are we? Yeah, exactly. Any other shower in the cities that uh, kind of uh, strike you or wowed you in 2023? Well, that actually reminded me of... The Colored Girls Museum, uh-huh. maybe yes. not in the way you would think, but through someone using a loss, someone using a series of losses to spark an inspiration to not only honor people around them, but build up their communities. The thing about this ritual is that you have to be led. You don't get to just come through the front door and go where you want, because in your grief space, nobody can do that. Vashti Dubois, 10 years ago, lost her husband. Mm-hmm. And in losing her husband, she almost lost herself, her perspective, her reason for living. She was in a space, yeah. right? As she would say, she was in a space. So the house they lived in, uh, in Germantown, she decided out of nowhere, I need my community. So what I'm going to do is create a space in which my friends can come to me and help me through this stage of my life. And in losing her husband, she invited her friends to come and mourn with her. And in mourning, she asked them all to bring something. And what they brought was art. Hmm. What they brought was 
healing through art, something that they could offer her, not a casserole, you know, not what we would think. But they knew her and knew that she was inspired through art, that her husband was also inspired through art. So she made her house just kind of like a pop-up, like art exhibit. And in doing that, it gave light to, well, maybe I can do this for the Fringe Festival. It opened her eyes to maybe what she could be doing in the future to honor her husband, but also to grieve, a finding a way to grieve. So her family, her friends, her community supported her in this. And for the Fringe Festival, she did this Colored Girls Museum. And then that turned into a long-term 10-year effort where she now has a Colored Girls Museum, which focuses on, of course, said Colored Girls, but also about building up the idea of what being a woman in Philadelphia is, being a woman with the rich history that we have, mm-hmm. all women, yeah. not just women of color, but then the nuances of what all of these other things come into play. And then on top of that, recently, she was told by uh, the city that she was in violation of two codes because she lived in the house. Of course, it was her house that she lived in with her husband. So yeah. she agreed, all right, all right. So what I'll do is I'll leave the house if that's necessary. So they just had a hearing and uh, the whole community came through, gave testimony saying how much her museum has contributed to not only the culture, but also ideas of what to come next when it comes to uh, 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 nonprofits in the city and women-run nonprofits, what women can do to kind of forward art in their communities and do it in a new way. That support is needed. If that is so Philadelphia, though, that that whole story... The museum is so Philadelphia, which is so rich with stories like that. Yeah, that's great. Right? Make do with what you have. She had her house, so she needs a variance that will then give her an allowance to stay there. And it looks so, thus far, knock on wood, that (laughs) maybe she'll get that variance. That's great. Some good news in 2024. These are the stories that we love to bring uh, on Bridging Philly, Patty. And, you know, it's important that people in different sections of the city understand and, and are familiar with what's happening in little enclaves of the city. You know, that's the whole idea of bridging right. Philly, right. right? Yes. Yeah. Little bits into a hole. Yeah. Yeah. And those little bits aren't so little, are they? No, no, they're not. No, they're not. And they, they all have rippling effects. Absolutely. Bridging Philly continues in a moment. Back to Bridging Philly, connecting our communities on the issues that matter to you. Well, I'll talk about one final um, program that hit home, especially for me. And actually, I am still getting emails and um, messages on um, social media about this particular program. Because Ooh, what is it? It is Why? the uh, Circle of Sisters of breast cancer. That was inspiring. Yeah. That really was. And that, Boy. you know, it was inspiring. It came from my particular struggle that I'm still going through right now. Yes, you are. And I met a woman here in our office. They came in at the American Cancer Society was here and I had to give them a talk. And the reason why I won't forget it was because the day I had to give them the talk, I had just found out that my cancer, I have a new phase of breast cancer. This is when I was giving the talk. That's the same day? The same day. And I'm like, okay, they're just going to get it in real time. I don't know what's going to happen when I deliver this talk. I didn't expect to have to, you know, give them this raw information, but I'm just going to do it. And so I kind of gave it out. It was very emotional. And, uh, you know, I talked about my story. Uh, This is my second bout of breast cancer that I'm dealing with. And there was a young woman in the audience 
And when I went to sit down, she took my hand and she said, you're not alone. I am here. This is my card. I need you to call me whenever you feel like you feel alone or you just want to talk. And she said, and I'm not just giving this to you just to, you know, make it sound good. Because, you know, people, oh, I'm here for you. And, I, and of course, mo- people mean that. But she looked at me like, I want you to call. So she was connecting. She was connecting, and I felt that. And so there was a day, and I have so many of these days, <laughs> but there was a day when I was just like, oh, my goodness. You know what? I'm going to call her. You and I reached her. out, and I called her. Her name is Lynn Alston, and she's with the American Cancer Society. She's founder of Hugs Around America Foundation, and she's author of a book called A Hug Saved My Life because that's how she found out that she had breast cancer. Her cousin or her niece, I forgot who, a member of her family gave her a really tight hug, and she felt something like, what is that that I'm feeling? And then, of course, that prompted her to go get tested, and she realized that she had breast cancer. So she became an instant resource for me, a comfort. And she said, you know, you need a circle of sisters around you. And that birthed this program. I said, well, then you know what? That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to gather a circle of sisters of survivors. We're going to come into the studio and we're going to talk about our experiences. And that's exactly what we did. And we had Dr. Generosa Grana. She's uh, with the MD Anderson Cancer Center at Cooper University Hospital. She's also a survivor, uh, along with Lynn and Jamil Rivers, who's founder of the Chrysalis Foundation. And she's an ACS spokesperson. And then Tamika Bryant, she's another survivor, metastatic, I believe. Wow. So we're, we're, I'm in the room with these women, metastatic, triple negative, all these different horrific. Still here. Still here th- and looking good and thriving and right. going through it. And I'm in treatment for the rest of my life because I'm metastatic. Being able to communicate that, being able to be forthcoming about what I'm going through and Therapy, psychotherapy, social mm-hmm. support, yeah. all of that is important when you're going through a cancer diagnosis. A lot of cancer centers will have social workers and also psychotherapists to help you deal with all these different emotions and new things that you have to think about. So death and life and who am I? I'm getting so much inspiration from them because here I am in this journey again. This time it's worse than my original one was a lumpectomy. I had that done, some reconstruction done. This is different. I'm going through the whole chemo situation and surgeries and it's a long journey. And I look back and I think back to them. And I'm like, they went through it. They finished, they're doing well, they're thriving, they're surviving. And I have to always lean on that when I'm really low going, I can't believe this is still going on and this is such a long journey. But there are so many women out there who have been where I am right now. And like I said, I'm still getting calls about that, that this is such an inspiration. You know, my cousin, my my mother, you know, my friend, she's going through it. And I, I sent her the show and she's listening to it and, and I'm in that was the goal to share. Right, Patty? Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I, I I heal from sharing yeah. and hearing other people's stories. And I'm just hoping that other people hear stories and they, they heal as well. Yeah. It's about creating community. Yeah. It seems to be working. Hey. You know, even if it's one or hey. two people, if they're blessed and, and they feel inspired by hearing uh, other women's stories, knowing that, hey, that's where I am right now. And you've been there and, and you survived this. Yeah. It was worth it. Sometimes it's you just need it. validation through, you know, you can relate. Yeah. I'm really proud of you that you were brave to put yourself as part of the story. That was That huge. you put yourself in the first person because we're trained to cover everybody else. Yeah. And so I remember having this conversation 
And it was, you know, I mean, it's up to you, Raquel. I mean, I'll, I'll produce it. I mean, it, of course, it'll be powerful if you put yourself in the story. But we were very careful and we discussed that, you know, and I'm not familiar with putting my host as the first person inside of a story either. So we really thought through it and it was so powerful. Yeah. It was a necessity. It was. And I, I go back to that show and listen every once in a while just yeah. to glean, yes, from them. I'm like, okay, okay, listen to this. Yeah, she went through this too. Oh, wait, is, oh, wait, you know what? What I'm going through, I remember she was talking about it. Let me go back to the show and listen to that. Oh, okay, this is how I can handle that. Okay. And you, you never want to be the story, right? As reporters, we never want to be the story. You don't want to be a part. But this, I thought it was important to be transparent uh, about my experience as well. And it just, it just worked. It speaks to who you are, though, the generosity of that and then being vulnerable. Like vulnerability is one of those things that you understand it sometimes takes more out of you. Oh, in the my beginning. goodness. It, yeah. But in the ride out, it's worth it. Mm. But you have to be brave to answer that call. Mm. And you answered it. Thank you. Thank you. And, you know, Patty, you mentioned that you're not used to putting your host in the position where they're part uh, of the story or the program. Um, it's time that we introduce the audience Come on now. to the brains behind Bridging Philly over the past year, Miss <laughs> Patty McMahon. You know, Patty, I just you don't have to go through your whole resume, but please let everyone know how you came to us, where you came from, and you know, why what your expectations were for this program when you arrived. Well, I'll tell you, my expectations have been surpassed. I mean, working with you two, I am extremely lucky that we all have a similar approach to how we want to cover issues, topics, um, gather voices. We have really respectful editorial meetings that we try to make everything better. Yeah. And I am really, really grateful to be producing a news show in Philadelphia in these times. I mean, anytime. And is that the first time you've worked with some very big names, mm -hmm. names that I admire? Why don't you go ahead and, and go well, to that? I came to Philadelphia to go to Temple University, and I stayed. And I um, studied journalism, and um, my first radio job was with Fresh Air. Mm -hmm. and, uh, <laughs> with the that, Terry Gross. Yeah, that's, that's big time <laughs> okay, right we there. Can say well, that's name. big time. Absolutely. <laughs> and so, and then I, I worked, uh, I stayed at WHOY for 16 years and worked for Marty Moscowane as well, part mm -hmm. of the Fresh Air world. And then I did a huge risky thing, and I went over the river and worked at the Wharton School for Sirius XM and produced business shows for five and a half years, mm -hmm. which was completely out of my comfort zone. And it is true that go outside your comfort zone, you will find yourself, you'll find other people. That, you know, you might say that to somebody, but to really experience it, it was really difficult, but extremely rewarding. And I have so many, and I have so many more contacts <laughs> now for the show. But I, it's that's like, right. I, I Your Rolodex. You know. Can we still say Rolodex? Right. You can yes. hear the wind it's, blowing yeah. through it all, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. <laughs> but doing local news, yeah. and this might sound lofty, but I believe that putting information out there to people who are voting mm -hmm. and have them draw their conclusions, have them create their opinions, I do believe that it, there is a relationship to democracy working. Yeah. That's the fourth yes. estate. That's our purpose You're here. Right. We're Absolutely. supposed to provide the information so they can make their decisions. Yeah. We're not supposed to frame it. We're yeah. just supposed to present it. Well, but Patty, I have to say, you there is a marked difference in the program. There has been over the past year, the content, the way it sounds, everything. And, you know, people have noticed. Um, and I say, Patty McMahon. It's collaboration. 
<laughs> it's working with the best. We're glad you stayed. Yeah, <laughs> we are. That Philly does that though. Yes. Philly brings people in who think they're going to come yeah. and leave and pass through or use us as a via to that next thing, mm-hmm. and they don't realize that Philly is your next thing. Now you oh. can't leave. Oh, I'm a huge booster. <laughs> I, I, I'm thrilled. I have so many connections in so many different um, communities and different parts of the city, and um, it'd be really difficult to live anywhere else. Yeah. yeah. Bridging is a beautiful thing. Just. Can't wait to see what 2024 has in store. Right. Shine a light on it. Absolutely. We'll continue to bridge Philly. Ladies, I'm going to raise my coffee mug. Everybody raise your water or coffee and just say, here's to 2024, ladies. Here's to 2024. All right. Salud. Salancha. Well done. Chivoli. Chendon. Okay. (laughs) That's what she said. (laughs) Thank you for joining us for Bridging Philly, brought to you by Gift of Life Donor Program. Organ donors save lives. Also, we're looking for the 2024 class of Game Changers. Nominations are being accepted right now. If you know a person or an organization doing positive work to uplift communities of color, go to kywnewsradio.com slash gamechangers and nominate them today. Winners will be featured on KYW and will be awarded at a special ceremony during Black History Month. For Sharaday Howard and our producer, Patty McMahon, I'm Raquel Williams. Be well. <laughs> <laughs>